Unlocking what was cool. Hosted by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. So I said that the best console of all time would need to have at least three displays in 3D, and of course it plays UMDs. Of course. What console doesn't play UMDs uh, in 2023? But uh, we're live. We're live, Neil. Oh, Mike. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. The Universal Media Disc, mm. probably the best format that video <laughs> games ever reached uh, of all time. But we're not here to talk about the PSP today. We're here to talk about some other things. But first, I got to ask you, it's been a little It's been a little while since we talked about this. I got to know, what have you been playing recently? We've, it's been a while since we talked about, I think, Tears of the Kingdom came out the last time we... We talked about this. What other games have been on your Switch, PS5, GameCube, and all those other beautiful consoles? Yeah, last month when we did this uh, this nice recurring segment that we have here on our podcast, uh, I think I was just playing Tears of the Kingdom, like you said. That was uh, yep. the, the game of the week, of the month. And I mean, I'm still playing Tears of the Kingdom on and off. I mostly just hang out in the depths and build vehicles and do <laughs> silly things down there. So that's kind of where I've landed on that game. Uh, will I do the story one day? We'll see, but uh, as of <laughs> as of right now, I am mostly just fooling around down the depths. I'm playing uh, Yakuza Kiwami, which is the uh, remake of the original Yakuza in the the form of Yakuza Zero. Uh, just because that game mm-hmm. is so good, they're like, let's just remake all the games uh, with the same engine, uh, which honestly I love. More things need cool. to do that, uh, where they find like a one. A game that works really well, and they're like, "I'll just borrow this engine and just recreate like the stories." Uh, these have games. you played all the Yakuza games? I have not. Zero was my first one. A lot of people recommended that okay. I start with Zero, and it's really cool because Zero is it came out much later than these other games, and it, it act, acts right. as a prequel. And um, it's kind of like Red Dead Redemption Two in the way that that's a prequel, and if you start with that game. Uh, and then you go back to the old games, you're like, oh, this character, like, that's interesting what they did to him. Uh, and it would have been it would have been interesting to play Zero after 1 and 2 and everything, but it, it was cool for me to get that really good gameplay so I could get hooked on the series and then start um, playing through. Uh, but uh, 1 is a lot of fun, and it, and it reminds me of being back in, uh, in Japan, which is very cool. Uh, I've also been playing a little bit of Hot Wheels Unleashed, which I bought uh, for us for nice. the cottage. Love that game. One of the best racers, if not the best racing game of 2019, 2020, whenever it came out. No, it was 2022. Uh, no, I got that. I think it was late 2021. Wow. Because I bought it summer of last year, and that was 2022. Because I played it to death when I was when I had COVID last year. That was my COVID right. game. So <laughs> I think it was October of 2021, wow. if I remember correctly. Yeah. That's crazy. Uh, and then we're getting the sequel, so that's pretty exciting. Uh, only Ooh, two yeah. years after. Uh, and then I also have been playing a game that you recommended me, Neil, that I absolutely love, Mini Metro, which is nice. a, a very simple kind of top-down uh, way to create subway lines. Uh, it's mm-hmm. hard to explain other than like a stripped-down roller coaster tycoon. Uh, yeah. and, and even honestly a little bit of a Pikmin 1 feel in terms of like the time limit mm-hmm. and in terms of like getting stressed because things are yeah. like there's a lot of stuff going on. You have to manage a lot of resources at the same time. If you uh, don't take care of your, your stations and they're going to get overcrowded, you lose. And um, mm-hmm. I, I really love it. It's it's a game that I think is a lot of fun to play. I, I wish they uh, I wish there was a bit more 
of it. Like it's 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 a super minimalist game, and and if you look it up, you'll see what I mean. Like it's the ultra minimalist, where there's like nothing on screen. Sometimes yeah, there's no textures in this game. There's no frame rates or anything. <laughs> it just is. The game just is. It just is. Yeah, and I, I wish there was a little bit more. Like like, but uh, mm-hmm. it's it's still pretty fun. I'm I've unlocked a lot of things. I've under like now I realize how to actually navigate it properly because it's not made for Switch, and I'm playing it on the Switch. Uh, right. <laughs> and and I'm realizing that uh, okay, like there's. A uh, bunch of like icons that I need to click. Like I just I just discovered dark mode uh, the other day. Uh, so it's uh, it's been fun uh, trying to figure out the UX of uh, <laughs> of this game. Yeah, Mini Metro is really cool. I played it a bunch. I think last year as well. That wasn't when I had COVID. I remember playing that one when I had the flu. I was sick for four weeks last year. Yeah. I had COVID, the cold, and two flus. And I think that that was during one of my flu bouts. And I played a lot of Mini Metro. And I love the the little ambient sounds and the, this the clicking is so satisfying. It would be really cool though. I know what you're saying. It'd be nice if the game had a little bit more to look at because yeah. the best way to describe it is if you live in a place that has a transit system, you're basically drawing out a map. subway map. Yeah. Yeah, you're literally making a subway map on your TV. And it would be cool if that had the option to be able to see the cities and maybe see some buildings and maybe some greenery and and have some animations in there because it does get a little boring to look at after a while, but it's very satisfying to play. So I'm glad I finally got you into that game. And (laughs) and it's probably great on PC. Um, On Switch, it's fine on Switch, but it definitely is cumbersome to play with. It's uh, a portability, though, that helps. Like It's a a Mm, game that is a lot of fun to play portable. And I just just need that that perfect mix the problem is that the devs just ported it without like trying to make it for switch which i understand it's an indie devs it works and it's very cheap too you can i think i bought it for like five bucks on sale you can get the game for very cheap so add it to your uh, download or add it to your wish list and uh, wait for a sale and check it out i think it's definitely worth the five bucks for a couple hours if you're like mike and i and we're very much into that industrious kind of sim you know roller coaster tycoon sim city builder then definitely check that game out. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been playing, I guess, one similar game that you mentioned, The Tears of the Kingdom. Uh, I've probably, I've stepped away from it now for a few months. I just, I needed to get away from it. I've been playing it for about, what, two or three months since yeah. it came out. And I'm I, I'm in the story. I've definitely played some of the story, which I know you haven't. So I won't mention any spoilers here, but I just felt like I needed to play something else. Like I yep. played it for maybe 50 or 60 hours at this point, And I was like, I, 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 I can't do this right now. Something about Tears of the Kingdom, I feel really bad because it's, it's an amazing game. I love it. Um, I just didn't get as hooked into it as I did with Breath of the Wild. And I don't know why. Because it's definitely, yeah, it's definitely a better game. I don't know what it is. If there's, it's, it's definitely a me problem. I think I'm just way busier now than I was in 2017. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's probably got something to do with it. I'll definitely go back to it again, probably after I'm done with a couple other games, uh, this year, like, uh, Hot Wheels Unleashed 2 that you mentioned and Mario Wonder. I'm excited to play. So I might go back to it after that and after another switch game that i recently picked up which is pikmin 4 mm-hmm. finally got this game while you were out in japan this is this is what i did while you were in japan <laughs> i was like all right mike's away i need something need to do something so picked up pikmin 4 and i was thinking i told you this in person this is the first time i've given nintendo money towards a pikmin game a new pikmin game well just generally because i bought pikmin 1 and 2 in 2014 ish 2013 or 14 and those were used yes. obviously on yes. ebay 
Pikmin 3 was fairly new when I bought or when I got it as a gift. I bought I got that for Christmas of 2015, I think. And at that point, it was only a year or two old. But you might not remember this, but Pikmin 3 at one point was very hard to find and very expensive. I don't remember um, this, but I could see yeah. why. I mean, like, the I'm sure they didn't print a ton of stock. Nope. They were also, uh, that's, that's I guess, midway through the Wii U, which was not selling. So <laughs> Early Wii U, and, and it wasn't selling. I think Pikmin 3... Uh, I can't remember this now, but it might have come out like between the launch and Mario Kart 8 original. Oh. Um, so it was just in that lull time and Pikmin was not a big franchise. So yeah, it had a very low print run. It eventually had a second print run. So the value went down and it was easier to find. But uh, my mom, I guess, found it at a, a EB Games uh, for Christmas that year because it was the only game I think I had on my list, my Christmas list yeah. was Pikmin 3. And I knew it was a long shot because I knew people like on podcasts and everything were talking about how hard Pikmin 3 was to find. And anyway, the point of the story is that I got that I got that game used as well. So no money went to Nintendo. Yeah. And I was just driving thinking like, man, I should really probably vote with my wallet here and, and give Nintendo some money for a franchise that's brought me so much joy over the past 10 years at this point for me. Yeah. And Pikmin 4 is an absolutely fantastic game. Uh, friend of the show, John, is very into it. I think he's beaten the story like three or four times. <laughs> he's doing a no death run right now, which I will not do. Oh, but cool. I'm... T- uh, it's it's a very much a Pikmin, like a hardcore Pikmin thing to do yeah. is to play the game without losing a single Pikmin. Uh, I don't care. I kill as many Pikmin <laughs> as I can to get my, my collectibles. But I think you'd really like this game, Mike, because it's not like the old Pikmin games. This to me feels a lot more like a collectathon, like mm. a 3D collectathon, more so than it being like a resource management strategy. It doesn't feel like an RTS. To me, this one feels a lot more like a, um, like a collectathon. There's little jewels around on the map and there's like really interesting items to find and there are enemies of course there's various combat but for me the combat's very easy it's really the exploration and discovering new items and of course what they name each item is always yes. fun so <laughs> I, I'm having just a I'm, I'm showing my fiance like she's on her phone like on TikTok or whatever and I'm like yo look what they named like this thing and, and I'm laughing like an idiot and um, I love it so yeah I'm really enjoying that one I'm maybe th- I don't know maybe five hours into it so far and I'm just really enjoying just going through it bit by bit That's I awesome. want 100% percent it yeah it's great i want to collect everything i want to i want to get all the unlockables and 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 whatnot so definitely highly recommend pikmin 4 you're, you're probably going to check that one out at some point right i definitely will my, my my fear with pikmin 4 and honestly pikmin in general for this entire time has always been that i'm going to get too into it and I, I know me <laughs> i know that i i would really love it and especially i've seen footage of pikmin 4 i've, I've obviously heard testimonials from a friend from the show john saying how good this game is and john and i like very similar games as well with the mm-hmm. animal crossing and other things like that so i'm like oh boy this this is gonna be a game that if i play <laughs> it i am playing a lot of it and i definitely will try and 100 percent it so uh, i won't i wouldn't good. do death uh, no death mode that's no, no that's that's too much but uh uh john will so that's good someone has to do it <laughs> yeah some someone from our group has to do it maybe we'll get him to come on one day and we'll do a pikmin 4 episode that would be really fun to do because he is he sends me clips on discord all the time he's loving it and i'm loving it too and i'm really happy to see pikmin in this in this wave of of popularity and success it's doing incredibly well so um i'm more than thrilled to see it it's going to be a really hard decision on what my game of 2023 is going to be when all is said and done but a couple other games here and there that i've been playing in the last couple weeks i've been playing mario kart 8 deluxe which is just a constant game on my switch we got a couple of new tracks recently which i don't know if you've played those yet but very exciting vancouver yeah vancouver we got some canada some Mm -hmm. uh some canada uh, representation there finally Uh, i have not been to vancouver 
you have though, Mike. How does it compare to being in actual Vancouver? Have you played the Mario Kart 8 track yet? I have. Yeah, it's actually pretty funny. It uh, it doesn't go through East Vancouver and going through the uh, uh, the the homeless areas and uh, and all the the drug shops, unfortunately. <laughs> but uh, all the weed stores. Yeah, yeah. yeah that was, uh, I, I'm I'm sad that they didn't take that turn. But uh, yeah, it was actually funny. Like I reckon, you know, I'm like, oh, oh there's like there's kits, there's like the English Bay Beach. Like it was it was it was kind of kind of cool to see. There's like the Roger Nielsen statue with him holding the the white flag like there is um a bunch of stuff that i'm like that's that's neat like i don't think i've ever seen vancouver in a video game before um like now that i think about it no we got beat we did get british columbia in until dawn but yes. i don't think that they're in uh actually no i think vancouver. uh i think that's actually alberta technically i think that's like <laughs> really yeah it's or or it's like it's it's the in-between area it's where all the mountains uh, are okay. it doesn't matter yeah it, yeah it gets to a point in those two provinces where it really doesn't matter no you are you know <laughs> yeah i thought that was bc i'll have to go back you and could check be right. but yeah no I, I really like the new pack honestly like they're mm-hmm. I, i'm trying to think of like if there's a weakness in them for me there's a lot of mario kart tour in this one like i think yes. there's three or four of the tracks are from the app which is fine like the vancouver one is good i actually really like the um the one that's kind of like rome or greece or something i actually think that's like yeah athens. athens yeah 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 athens that's the one it's that's actually a really good track uh it it's really fun i like it it varies that the track changes every time you go around and i really like the new bathroom the bathroom one mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. i think that's a really interesting track very very clever uh i was playing this game with my uh, my two cousins a couple weeks back and uh they were loving it uh my my, uh, my younger cousin he loves mario kart 8 so we played this for a bunch well my other cousin just watched he wasn't really into it but we were he's really competitive he's very good at mario kart so Ooh. that was a ton of fun I love playing mario kart with people it's great and then after that we had to plug in nightfire really quick played a couple rounds of nightfire and it was funny because at first like they they weren't playing very well like they were and they play call of duty and I was like, oh, wait a minute. And I was like, guys, switch over your controllers uh, to Moonraker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And they did that. And then they started like outpacing me at times on kills and stuff. And they got it right away. So it's really funny to like show people like modern gamers Nightfire and always say, switch over to Moonraker. And then they just instantly get it. It's really fun. <laughs> but uh, yeah, those are the games that I've been playing. Pikmin 4, Tears of the Kingdom, Mario Kart 8, and Nightfire, which are honestly just regular rotations for me in terms of gaming <laughs> just a regular rotation I, lo- I love that so much and you know you mentioned yeah. nightfire and uh, a game that's 20 years old now and uh, neil uh i think it's mm. time to go to our new segment here another new segment that we've been doing for the last episode of each month which is the world in 2003 and it is august neil so what was going on yeah. in august 2003 yeah, 20 years ago in games, music, movies, and uh, general overall news in video games, we got on August 5th Freaky Flyers, which we covered on the GameCube mm-hmm. School podcast, and Silent Hill on, mm-hmm. I guess, PS, PS2. Uh, we also got Buffy the Vampire Slayer, Chaos Bleeds on August 27th. Nice. Also covered that on the GameCube was Cool podcast. And I mentioned last month in July that F-Zero GX uh, came out. It came out in July, in Japan in uh, in July. In North America, we got it in August. So technically, it's been 20 years since the uh, North American release of F-Zero GX. So not a bad month for video games. Uh, F-Zero GX probably being the standout. Oh, yeah. Uh, in movies, we got American Wedding, the American Pie. I guess that's the third in the trilogy, I think. Um, it's been a while since I saw that movie. <laughs> Uh, Freaky Friday, which we talked about a few weeks ago. Mm-hmm. We got Freddy versus Jason, which is, uh, why do they release horror films in August? It's so dumb. I know. <laughs> and Grind, which is a really dumb skateboarding movie that I remember loving in oh, like junior yeah. high school. Yeah, it's a really stupid movie. I forget. I don't think there's anybody of note in it. 
Um, <laughs> like, in terms of actors, I know that a lot of, fa- like, that, that movie is infamous for being terrible. And I think, like, famous skaters turned down roles to, like, even be in it as a producer because it was just not true to form in terms of skating. Like, Tony Hawk turned it down instantly. <laughs> right. um, that's a really fun movie to go back. Very much like a uh, movie of its time. In music, you're going to love this one. Kids Bop 4 came out on August 12th. Yes. Thank God. Do they still make them? Oh, God. They um, must. I think so. Like, that's the, that, but, but then my question is, is who is buying this? I who, don't know. Like, that, like, what is the market for Kids Bop? Like, who is going out and being like, they you know tour? what? Yeah. That, they, they must have <laughs> at some point. Like, for sure they did. Mm. Like, they, they had to supplement their income somehow. Like, that, the CD sales can't have been enough, especially they had to supplement the advertising budget that these people had <laughs> considering it was on every channel, every kid's yep. channel, like 24 seven, that like at least once an episode of something you would see the kids pop ad. Yeah. I, I didn't understand. I never got one. Maybe my sister did as like a karaoke thing, but I honestly don't know if there's ever a Toronto show. We need to look into that and see how much <laughs> tickets are. Cause I would be, I would go for science just to see what it's all about. But oh, anyway, yeah. we got Rancid's Indestructible on August 19th. Alien Ant Farm's True Ant also on August 19th. The Bouncing Souls Anchors Away on August 26th. Streetlight Manifestos Everything Goes Numb also on August 26th. Hilary Duff's Metamorphosis also on August 26th. <laughs> uh, the cover for that album, by the way, is terrible. Like it's horrible Photoshop, like mid-2000s Photoshop. It looks really bad oh, considering yeah. Hilary Duff was huge. You would have thought, not physically, she was huge like in terms of pop culture popularity. Uh, you would have thought that maybe uh, they would have had more of a budget behind it. But And then we had Avenged Sevenfold's Waken the Fallen, their second album, also August 26th. That was a stacked day wow. for music. Everything Goes Numb, Mike, 20 years old. How do you feel about that? I'm, I'm numb to it. Yeah, Streetlight Manifesto, uh, uh, one of our favorite bands for sure. They are doing uh, their 20th anniversary tour of it because they still refuse <laughs> to put out new music 10 years later. Uh, because uh, 2013, I think April, I think it came out, was uh, Hands That Thieve, their last full-length studio album. Will we ever Jeez. get uh, more music from them? Who knows? But uh, yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Good good, uh, good August, though, uh, for music, oh, considering yeah. that like... August is a bit of a lull time for like releasing stuff. Uh, so it's kind of, kind of cool to see. Yeah, yeah, especially that August 26th. I don't know mm-hmm. what happened that day. But <laughs> in the world news, really quick, a rundown of what happened in the world. On August 6th, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger announces that he will run for the governor of California, mm-hmm. which is awesome. Been 20 years since then. Uh, on August 14th, Mike, it's been 20 years since uh, the major power outage due to a power grid failure that affected more than 50 million people in basically every major Northeast American city, New York, New Jersey, Cleveland, Ottawa, Toronto, Detroit. And it lasted for two days at least in uh, most areas. I mean, this was, I feel like anyone who is old enough to remember this 20 years ago uh, will 100% remember it, uh, who lived on the eastern seaboard. And even if you didn't, you certainly had heard of it, uh, just because Mm -hmm. this was the largest single blackout in North American history uh, and has been... It's there. It hasn't broken the record yet, basically. So, no. um, uh, there hasn't been a blackout of that size and magnitude. And it was just like a, such a weird thing. It was like a tree branch fell on something in Cleveland that just sparked this entire power grid going down. And yeah, like you said, it was it was two days at least. I think for everyone, ours was definitely out for a full forty eight hours. Um, yep. I, and I know people who were out for even longer than that. Uh, and that was um. That was a really interesting time because 
we were really ramping up technology-wise in 2003. Like it, it, it was definitely getting exponential as it is today. And um, and I think that was one of the first times that people were like, "Whoa, you're right. What's life without like technology and electricity? Like this is kind of." Mm-hmm. This is kind of cool, actually. I mean, granted, this was in August, uh, so you could yep. go outside, you could do things, like everything was fine. Um, and honestly, like from what I hear from people and what I remember is that it was actually a pretty fun time. Like uh, we uh, shared food with the neighbors because everyone had to like get rid of the, everything in their fridge. Like it was right. a it was a very communal time. I mean, for our parents, I'm sure it was kind of stressful because they had to like make sure that their kids were fed. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but even I was talking to my parents about it like, the other other week, and they were like, yeah like it's like i'm sure we were stressed at the time but looking back it was kind of like a almost funny thing like oh yeah like mm-hmm. it was a it was a, a neat memory to have a very unique one for sure yeah almost like the simplicity of like when covid hit and everyone just had to stay home and it's yeah. like everyone was baking watching movies reading going for walks or whatever with their family kind of a similar thing very, I, I remember yeah, it specifically yeah, I remember it specifically because my mom instructed me and my brother to go to the convenience store and buy as much ice as humanly possible. <laughs> that was our task. It's funny. Very, very strange though. Like, and the only thing that we could use in our house was the landline because that was the only thing yep. that for some reason would work in the blackout. And basically everything else was out. No TV, no lights. So we had a lot of candles and board games and went to bed early because everyone was exhausted because there's no unnatural light in the rooms, which is probably <laughs> how we should naturally sleep. But yeah, very, very strange. I think it's been 20 years since then i remember like like my dad and mom were horrified to to drive anywhere because like the street lights were all out too yeah so you know it was being it was summer late summer and like baseball wasn't happening because no one could drive anywhere and it was getting close to the, the finals and people were like wondering when is this going to affect school and it, obviously it, it came back in, in just a couple of days but still even that's a long time i saw yes, something on the news recently and i loved this it was like a it was a blackout in some area of uh, of the country and it was caused by a bird dropping a fish on the power line and i found that hilarious <laughs> <laughs> screw you humanity <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i like to think that that's like uh, that's the animals trying to get back at us but enough talk about a blackout that happened 20 years ago mike i think that it's about time that we jumped into today's episode what do you think Let's do it, Neil. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 27 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast, the show about all things retro that we love from our childhood. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. We are the number one podcast on the internet, hosted by people who talk about blackouts caused by fish. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the Unlocking What Was Cool. Supporters at the $5 level get to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode. Last week, we talked about Mike's trip to Japan and some Japanese GameCube exclusive video games. If you have already go back and check it out this week we are covering our patreon exclusive topic which was voted for on patreon thank you so much to everyone who participated this month submitting topics and voting the topics up for election were console wars by jude willy wonka candy by cube dude and gba to ds by dean donian and the winner from our election is with 50 percent of the votes the leap from gba to nintendo ds Thanks, thank you again so much to everybody who participated in the election. These are a ton of fun. It, it gives Mike and I, like, it's a bit of a good exercise to not know what the fourth episode of the month is going to mm-hmm. be. And this is a really neat topic. It's taking us back to late 2004, early 2005. At this point, Mike and I knew very well uh, the Game Boy, of course. We grew up with the Game Boy and all of its uh, little, you know, little screen, four batteries, bad colors. And uh, we were given the Game Boy Advance eventually, which we played a ton of. And then there was this random transition to this weird console with two screens and kind of 3D, but kind of not. Um, I guess we can start there, Mike. What are your memories of that late 2004, early 
2005 era when the DS was coming out and advertisements were on TV and in magazines. It's a funny time because I do remember it very vividly for sure. And I'm glad that we had this topic to just kind of dive into this and talk about our memories and everything of it. And also some of the interesting facts I learned along the way, because when you're a kid, you don't really think about the business side of it. Well, you don't think of the business side at all. You just Not think at all. That you're no. like, I'm getting a console. <laughs> but uh, I, um, I, I was lucky enough to own the uh, Game Boy Color and then Game Boy Advance and then Game Boy Advance SP all in succession, uh, mm-hmm. which were all fantastic consoles. And then the SP by far was the best thing ever. And I loved that thing to death yeah. and I still do. Um, but I was, uh, I guess it was, what a year after the the SP comes out that uh, that we get the DS, and mm-hmm. that was really crazy to me. I remember when that was coming out, I was like, "This is so soon." Uh, it's like, uh, like why are why are we getting this this like extra? I just thought it was like an SP plus or something, um, <laughs> and I didn't see it. I think firsthand until probably like January of or February of 2005. So a couple months after it comes out and mm-hmm. I see uh, my friend uh, who played on my hockey team, I see him with uh, a DS and he was showing every, you know, everyone's crowded around watching him play the DS and he had the, um, the Mario 64 remake that, uh, nice. that came on the DS. So I think probably everyone had uh, for that uh, because I think that was like one of the only like big launch titles or around yeah. launch. But uh, yeah, that was a uh, really cool. And, and I remember the graphics looked so good on it compared to my SP. And I was like, wow, this is amazing. This is okay. Now I need this. Like this is, this is the game <laughs> or this is the console I need. Uh, my parents were like, no, you're not getting that. Like we just got you the SP like last year, just calm down. Uh, so I did, I had to wait until, um, 2006 i believe i guess probably like december 2006 to get my ds which ended up being good anyways because that's when we got so many more titles and everything Uh, ds had a bit of a slow run at the beginning uh for Mm -hmm. good or really good titles to come out on it and uh uh and i loved it but i i will say that i still liked my sp more and I think it was just because of the one the portability of it the design of it is beautiful the design of the original ds pretty ugly actually oh yeah like like not a well-designed console at all uh and then you see you get the psp which comes out like what like the same time or the year after uh and that's just like the sleekest most beautiful console a uh, handheld console that i had ever seen and i remember seeing that and being like oh my god i should have got this <laughs> <laughs> the umd that's the direction that i went i like you i i grew up around a game boy my brother had the game boy the uh you know the green four batteries gray very 80s looking piece of tech mm-hmm. uh i got the game boy color and then the game boy advance just the standard model the the indigo purple matched my game matched the gamecube perfectly and that's where i played most of my handheld nintendo stuff for a while uh, when the DS and PSP came out, the DS came out in uh, November of 2004. The PSP came out March 2005. Mm. And uh, a lot of kids had to make a decision at that point. This was yeah. Sony's entry into the handheld space. Um, this The PSP outpowered the DS by quite a bit in terms of just its graphics and what it could do. It, it could play movies that looked like movies. It could You could be an MP3 player. It obviously played basically PS2 level graphics to a point, yep. whereas the DS was basically a 
a really good N64, I would say, at best, especially with like Mario 64 on there and others, of course. But it, mm-hmm. it didn't really have the same graphical output as the PSP. And of course, it didn't play UMDs, which we talked about exactly. at the beginning. That was a huge killer for me. So Christmas of 2005 is when I went from the Game Boy Advance to the PSP. I got Star Wars Battlefront 2 and Happy Gilmore that Christmas, which honestly, that's a great start on honestly, the PSP. It, <laughs> it was fantastic. And it was weird because I, I think that Christmas I got those two games, but I also got a SpongeBob game of some kind on my Game Boy Advance. Mm. It was so weird playing those two consoles back to back, like simultaneously, yeah. going from this really wide at the time, not so much anymore, but like this, what is it, like three or four by two inch screen on the PSP back to like the one and a half inch by one inch screen on the Game Boy Advance standard. It's so small and dark. It was so weird, like just going back between these two consoles. So that was my jump. And that feels way bigger to me than going from the Game Boy Advance standard to the PSP compared to the Game Boy Advance SP, which is what you had to the DS. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, like absolutely 100%. And like you said, the original DS uh, design was ugly. I remember even as a kid, the first thing, my very first memory of anything DS was a TV ad, probably on YTV or something. I was watching Dragon Ball Z or whatever. And um, I don't know if you remember this ad, Mike, but it was mm. like this static screen and uh, the DS opened up and you see two screens, which was very unique. Nothing that I had, we had ever seen up to this point looked like that. Um, we're very used to gaming consoles having just one screen. And it was kind of this disembodied computer voice, very calm, kind of like GLaDOS or something from uh, Portal. And it just said, touch the bottom screen. You know, I think you'll like it. It was like really seductive. It was very weird. It was very weird. And I thought oh, yeah. I was only 10 at the time or 11. I was like, this is a weird ad. And it, and then it just like cut out and it was like Nintendo DS. And that was it. Like it wasn't, it wasn't the bright, shiny, fun Nintendo that we had known in the 90s. It was this very serious... I only ever saw that ad once, too. Maybe they canceled it after that (laughs) um, just because of the reception. But uh, obviously, the DS ended up doing very well. So I guess the ad worked. But that was the first time I remember seeing anything like, what what is this console? Mm -hmm. And same as you, my first in-person experience was a kid on my hockey team playing the DS in the dressing room. And he didn't have Mario 64, but he did have uh, Spider-Man 2 on the DS. I guess that was one of the launch games on the DS. Uh, The DS launched with a a decent library. It had Asphalt, Urban GT, Feel the Magic, XYXX, which was nicknamed Project Rub. Sidebar, how did they get away with that? (laughs) Who was asleep at the Switch when they greenlit that as a launch game? There was also Madden NFL 2005, Metroid Prime Hunters, which was a great game. Mm -hmm. Spider-Man 2, Super Mario 64 DS, and then The Herbs, Sims in the City. So a pretty good launch, obviously, yeah. Super Mario 64 being the uh, the hit game there. And it launched at 150 USD, which by today's standards is about 250 USD uh, dollars today. So not a bad price, uh, way less than like a Switch uh, or anything like that. Mm. And all said and done, the DS did very well, sold 154.02 million units, had over 3,400 games, the last title on the DS was Big Hero 6 Battle in the Bay. Never played it. Uh, in 2014. So the console had basically 10 years 
from start to finish, which is pretty impressive by today's standards. With an absolute massive amount of redesigns uh, thrown yes. in there too. Like there are so many versions of there's the the DSX, DSXL, there's the DSIs, the different DSIs, like the DSI Plus. Like they they, they <laughs> had so many different versions of this, and they did the same thing with the 3DS as well. Um, yep. And I, the DSI is definitely the one that I think probably sold the most. Uh, you saw that probably the the most for sure at least I did uh, rather than the original console it it, uh, it was stylish it was easy to take it everywhere it looked really good the clamshell was much much nicer uh, than the original DS2 it didn't have any weird beveling on it it was just flat uh, the right. buttons were a lot better they were much like softer uh, I came in so many different colors instead of like the the gross 2005 gray, gray uh, mm. that we got um, so like they killed it when they figured out the DSI. And how like and it was also lighter. Like I, I'm not sure what the the whole uh, actual manufacturing was for the DSi and how they made it. They also had bigger screens too. They like changed the uh, how the whole console was laid out. Like uh, if it had launched like that, I would have loved it so much more. Uh, I think, but like I still loved my DS. But it was just one of those things that they would keep putting out these new iterations on on you know what it looked like right and every time mm-hmm. they did i'm like oh, i wanted to, i want to get that though <laughs> i think that's how they sold so many of these consoles is that yeah they, they basically released they basically released a new ds model every every two years on average or even less than that uh i, I have months, the D- yeah. basically 18 months and they would always release it time it very well with the holidays christmas time usually a very big game around there like a pokemon yeah um or another French, more franchises that I'm sure that we'll talk about later. I had the DS Lite. That was the one that I got. I got it way later. Um, so my jump to DS, to answer your question, was in 2016. I uh, I was walking through Value Village, which is like a thrift store here in uh, in Ontario, or Toronto at least, and uh, I found a DS on the shelf for 20 bucks and bought it. It worked just fine. It charges. I bought a, like a cable, kind of like an octopus style cable that would, it charges, uh, the 3DS, the DS, the DSi, uh, and the Game Boy Advance SP. So Mm -hmm. I could charge all of my handhelds with that and it worked perfectly well. And that's basically how I played the majority of my DS games and on 3DS too, because the 3DS was backwards compatible, but I love the DS Lite because it could, it could still play Game Boy Advance games on it. Yes, yeah, so that, um, that's that's actually what the one I meant, not the DSi. I actually oh, okay. meant the, the DS Lite is the one that like they figured out the uh, the gotcha. design of it. They figured out the lightweightness of it. Yeah, the backwards yeah. compatibility. It also had. It was also slim, much slimmer. Uh, it was much brighter too. Uh, the original. It was like you could put it in your pocket basically, and it had sold uh, ninety three million of the wow. one hundred fifty million uh, DSs sold. So the DS wow. Lite was really what moved units here for sure. I was gonna say the DS Lite is is uh, is um, is comparable to the Game Boy Advance SP in terms yes. of like the peak, in my opinion, of the design, the functionality, uh, portability. Of course, uh, the DSi was great. A lot of people had those in high school too. I remember it was just losing that Game Boy Advance slot for me was was no good. I loved playing DS game. I loved playing Game Boy Advance games. It just made it just made the console feel so much more complete to be oh, able yeah. to play some fantastic Game Boy Advance games, which I am a big fan of the Game Boy Advance library. I think we've talked a little bit about that in the past. I love uh, Minish Cap and Wario Land 3 is great. I love the Mario Kart game. I played that a bunch in college. There's even a great Nightmare Before Christmas game on there, which is basically like a Castlevania or a Metroidvania style game. 
there's terrific F-Zero games on there. Super Mario uh, 3. I forget what they call those games now, but basically Super Mario World yeah, 4, yeah. Super Mario Bros. 3 is great. Metroid Fusion is really cool. Basically, it's a little portable Super Nintendo. So yeah. Nintendo had a huge shadow or shoes to fill going into the DS generation. And I don't know if you remember this, Mike, but for a while... Nintendo was pitching this as the third pillar. Mm -hmm. In the mid-2000s, Nintendo was toying with the idea of trying to support three console hardwares with the GameCube, the Game Boy Advance, and the DS, which quickly became two uh, with the DS and the end of the GameCube's life, and then just the DS and the Wii. And now we're down to a one uh, pillar uh, future with Nintendo now. Uh, do you remember that time when they were like trying to basically pitch it as, no, no, the Game Boy Advance is not dead. This is just something else. So that was funny that uh, that was kind of what I was alluding to earlier with like you didn't really think of the business side of, of gaming too much when you were a kid. Like uh, mm-hmm. That was the one thing that I kind of learned about uh, more recently uh, as an adult that, oh, like they wanted the DS to be the third thing. They wanted to keep these other things alive, which is, like you said, really funny now that we have just one and yeah. that everything's emerged in. It's It's gone backwards that way. Uh, it's it's interesting, but I don't know who they were trying to fool because like, it's not like this was a radical departure from what you already had with like the, the SP. Uh, obviously, having the, the, the two screens was big and the touchscreenness. Uh, of it as well like we forget now touchscreens are just everywhere but like the ds was probably one of if not the first instance that anyone had had exposure to a touchscreen uh, and then you know you had the stylus and everything too right which is such a funny thing to think about uh, back yeah. <laughs> back then that the stylus was uh, a thing that everyone had but yeah touchscreens just weren't a thing so uh a, a D- the ds was revolutionary in that sense but i i I, it's it's strange that they were really pitching it and pushing it from uh, uh, internal business-wise uh, decision, but mm-hmm. also marketing-wise as the third pillar, because I I don't see a, a, a way that that would have ever held up. Like, they also made it backwards compatible uh, right. with GBA games. So, like, uh, that is really weird. If you if you wanted to create it as a as a third pillar, you wouldn't have made it get backwards compatible um, right. as as the first thing there. But yeah, I, I maybe it was I don't know. Maybe it was some internal thing that someone had to get across. But it's like, well, this will be the third pillar. Like, okay, like good luck. But uh, obviously, that didn't happen. It ended up taking over the the Game Boy line, which I think was was right to do as well. Like the Game Boy line had been out since eighty seven or eighty eight, eighty nine, yeah, eighty eight, eighty nine, yeah. Um, and so you know that's 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 fifteen years uh, at that point. Um, so it, it just makes sense that you have that successor in. And honestly, it's funny because they they were marketing it as like this third pillar. We actually had a really successful transition between the and leap uh so to speak as we uh, are calling it in this episode between the game boy advance and the ds because as you know nintendo is notorious for just cutting off um their old hardware you know within uh within a year usually and just mm-hmm. making sure everyone is going to the new hardware and uh and they kill off things quite fast but uh, this is probably one of if not the only time where Nintendo did not kill off the Game Boy uh, Advance right away, and they they actually gave consumers time to switch over, time to improve on the on the original DS model and everything too, and 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 create the light when people were more ready to move on from Game Boy Advance. And uh, honestly, 
I think that's probably what ended up selling the 150 million units. If they had cut off the Game Boy Advance and just told everyone, now you have a DS, I don't think you sell 150 million units. It's hard to say. I think a lot of those 150 million units, the DS did so well is that they captured audiences outside of gamers, like I would consider like you and I. Yes. Like they captured people with franchises that a lot of people don't talk about anymore with much nostalgia. But games like uh, Brain Age and Nintendogs are two franchises that come to mind as huge selling games. And even I think yes. there were some fitness apps in there too, very much lifestyle games that they were getting into on the DS, which sold very well. You got to remember 2004, there are no iPhones yet. So, and no one had iPhones. Most people did not have iPhones. Like in like everybody had their own iPhone until like 2010 into the 2010s. The iPhone came out in 2007. It took a couple years before it became affordable and Mm -hmm. accessible to kids, especially. Um, So parents are like, I'm not going to buy my kid a thousand dollar iPhone. I'm going to buy them this 150. (laughs) It got cheaper fast too, by the way, and ended up being a hundred bucks, I think by the second or third Christmas. Yeah. So parents were much more likely to buy this, this toy basically for their kids, as opposed to an iPhone, whereas that's completely flipped these days and no one wants to buy a console. More people just want to give their kids a phone, which is very funny. So that has a lot to do with it as well. Just the timing of when the DS came out. It's very interesting to go back and look, though. The Game Boy Advance, only basically three years and change old when Nintendo, for all intents and purposes, killed it with the DS. And the Game Boy Advance would have sold way better and would have had more games, too. Uh, To date, the Game Boy Advance sold 81.5 million units and 1,500 and some odd games on there. So literally split right in half of what the DS did. Mm-hmm. And the last game on the on the Game Boy Advance came out in uh, February of 2008. It was a game called Samurai Deeper Kaio. Never played it, never heard of it. No one has. They did support the Game Boy Advance a little bit past when uh, they probably would have had the game, had the DS been a complete successor. Yeah. Uh, I think that they were honestly trying to keep this going as a three-pillar strategy. But for the most part, the Game Boy Advance was getting... A lot of uh, licensed tie and licensed games and movie tie-ins. I can always remember that that splash screen after you see a game trailer of seeing PS2, Xbox, GameCube, DS, and Game Boy Advance or whatever. <laughs> after seeing your ad for the Madagascar movie game or whatever, you've also said it probably a hundred times on the GameCube is Cool podcast where you have to list out all the consoles and yes. usually and you're like and the Game Boy Advance. Exactly. And the GBA was also there too. Um, But the Game Boy Advance was, I got to just say it before, you know, we talk more about the DS, but the Game Boy Advance was a terrific console launched at a perfect price of $100, which is about 170 USD today. The games were all fantastic. Basically a portable SNES, like I said earlier, it did have several issues at launch, which the DS didn't have. Notably, the Game Boy Advance still ran on AA batteries, uh, which in 2001 was a little strange, not it was at that weird time where things were starting to come out that were chargeable. Yeah. It was still somewhat accessible to, to run on batteries, but also a little bit strange. And then, of course, not having a backlight was a huge problem with the Game Boy Advance at yes. launch, which they eventually fixed with the SP and the Game Boy Micro, which I've never used one of those. I see them at game stores all the time, but that's kind of that third Game Boy Advance uh, iteration that a lot of people forget about. Do you remember the Game Boy Micro? I never saw one like a friend had or anything. Yeah, I remember. I remember it being advertised to me, and I think I like was you know as a kid, like I want this, and my dad's like, "No, you don't. This is <laughs> you're not getting this." Uh, and, and I mean, he was right. Like I, I, I wouldn't have played with it that much. It, it was, it was strange that they did put that out. I mean, because did they put that out right before the SP? Is that kind of what they did, or did they put that out? 
after. I thought it was after the SP. It could have been, which is weird because the SP was literally like the perfect console. You could take it everywhere. Why would you need something smaller? Like, it, I don't know. Mid-2000s, Nintendo made some weird decisions uh, with stuff, as we've talked about at length on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And the whole handheld kind of leap there for sure was what, there were some strange decisions made. Oh, yeah. Definitely. This was kind of like their adolescent period, I feel like, where they're just trying to, they're just figuring stuff out, you know? Yeah, which was nice because we get, like, a different the console. Like, we di- we get an idea that's different. Like, the two-screen idea, touchscreen. Like, that's mm-hmm. probably something that, like, Sony, well, I mean, Sony didn't do it, but that's something that Sony would never, ever do, right? They would never try and do this kind of gimmick, quote-unquote. The Game Boy Micro mic, get this, September 2005. That's right. It, it was... <laughs> Way later. It was put out with the DS. Okay, I do remember this, actually. That's so weird. Yeah, I think it was because the DS wasn't selling super great at the time, uh, and mm. uh, the PSP had come out, and so they're like, okay, like let's just like give them a, a, another Game Boy if they want. Um, sure. So yeah, it, it felt like this. This felt like a very reactionary time for Nintendo uh, in terms of handheld consoles, but um, but yeah, they, they, they picked it up. They figured it out. Definitely. Well, for the first time, they were being honestly comp- competed against in the handheld market. Of yes. course, yeah. Sega had their Game Gear in the 90s, and there was, you know, weird, weird, very weird handheld game, the Wonder Swan and other other stuff like that. Uh, please but, don't don't forget the number one handheld uh, console, Neil. Of course, the Gizmondo was out Thank there you. as well. Yeah, uh, no problem. Gizmondo, we, we represent the Gizmondo here on this podcast, <laughs> but no, th- like there was never anything serious that was competing. I mean, I guess that's harsh to, against the Game Gear, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yes. It wasn't really a fair fight against, in the handheld market, and and for a while, the PSP was doing very well until it got hacked to death and people were just basically playing Game Boy games on their PSPs. <laughs> uh, that's what it ended up being. So that took a bit of time. But no, they were they were up against the ropes for a little bit until they tapped into that lifestyle market of people who just wanted to collect Nintendogs and uh, and and do crossword puzzles and read books on the game on the uh, DS. That was something you could do as well. You could use it as a reader. Uh, it had that free app on there, Picto Chat, which was very popular. Basically, yes. a little chat feature. Again, years before kids had their own cell phones, so this was a huge thing. The DS had Download Play, which was a very big deal, especially for games like Mario Kart, which was basically it made it possible for you to play multiplayer games with friends who had a DS who did not have the same game as you. So you could play yeah. Mario Kart Eight or not Mario Kart 8, geez. You could play Mario Kart DS with uh, with a bunch of friends and they didn't have to own the game. You did, and you would just use your DS as like a little hotspot. I think they all had to play as um, Shy Guys or something like that. They couldn't pick their own character unless oh. they had their own cartridge, but very clever, very good idea, and that's something that the Game Boy Advance just couldn't do. That download play was basically the uh, replacement and the successor to the Link Cable, which we grew up with uh, playing games like Pokemon and whatnot. So the DS had a lot of very interesting features right out the bat. I did want to ask you though, Mike, about uh, the games on DS. Mm-hmm. We've talked a lot about the hardware and how impressed we were with different iterations of it, but what games on DS really got you uh, got you excited? Like, were there games that you played a lot of or games that you were really excited for back in the day? I feel like this is more of a you question because I played all of these games like 10 years after the DS came out and I'll talk about those games in a second, but do you remember being like really excited for any specific DS game while you had that console? I mean, I think the, the standards like Mario Kart DS... For sure, I was really mm-hmm. excited about. It. I played to death, uh, and I also played Super Mario sixty four DS uh, as well. A- in terms of being like really excited for, I'm I'm not sure because I think I still ended up playing a lot of Game Boy Advance games on it uh, right. for the most part. Like I think ninety percent of the games I played on the DS were Game Boy Advance. I didn't actually own uh, a ton of DS games, uh, which is funny to think like looking back. But I think I probably owned like six. 
DS games uh, ever. Uh, and I mean, I end up picking up uh, 999 uh, later in life and playing that and obviously loving it, but I didn't have that when I was a kid. Uh, so I think I played, yeah, Mario Kart DS, New Super Mario Bros. 64. Uh, I played Mario Luigi Partners in Time, which is oh, yeah. uh, a, a great, great game. And I had uh, Phantom Hourglass. Uh, so oh, those yeah. were, I believe, honestly, at the top of my head, there might be more, but those are, I think, the only DS games I owned. Uh, I'm sure I borrowed lots, I, I rented lots, uh, but those are the only ones that I really remember. DS is one of those consoles that I think that, like, if if someone were to, someone were to ask you, like, you know, what console should I get into, I feel like the DS is probably the one that I would say for, like, especially, like, a beginning collector. Maybe mm-hmm. someone out there can prove me wrong, but I feel like in terms of just accessibility... Uh, to find most of the games, to find a, a working console, uh, to be able to figure out how to play it, to use it, to take it around with you. I feel like the DS for collector, a starting collector is one of the best consoles to get into because there are so many games to play. There are so many genres on this thing. It basically has oh, every yeah. single genre on there. There are, as, as rudimentary as there are, there are first-person shooters on the DS, but there's puzzle games, there's platformers, there's party games, there's racing games, there's there's arcade games there's classic games there's a ton of different things for you to play with on there so it's a great console to get into and it, it's really funny because I'm, I'm the same as you i feel like there's only less than 10 ds games that i think i probably played at all while i had the thing and mm. the ones that i loved that i played mostly when i was in college uh were 999 that's probably my favorite ds game that's an absolute amazing uh puzzle solving uh kind of like an escape room it's really hard to explain, but uh, I'm sure there's a genre for it, but it's like a Japanese kind of game. A lot of reading, uh, so you got to get re- ready to read, but the story is incredible, and the puzzles are really fun, and I played that game on the train and was just, you know, so excited to find out what was going to happen next. It's a very interesting story, and uh, it will definitely hook you if you're into games like that. So 999 was terrific. Not a game for kids, uh, but a fun game for adults for sure. And then games that you mentioned, basically the Mario Karts, uh, New Super Mario Bros. was a really cool game. It had been, at that point, what, since uh, Super Mario uh, Super Mario World on SNES, it had been about 12, 10 or 12 years since Nintendo had put out like a yeah. big console Mario World game. We had Mario Land on Game Boy Color and, ga- and Game Boy games and whatnot. And of course, we had the remakes on uh, Game Boy Advance, but this was the first new entry in a very long time, and it was an amazing uh, breath of fresh air it added a lot of new things to the franchise that i feel like i can feel it in in my stomach mike that uh mario wonder is going to do the same thing that i think new mm-hmm. super mario bros did uh back in the uh, early 2000s my problem with new super mario bros is that by the time that i got to it i was so tired of the new super mario bros uh brand because yeah we had the wii one we had the wii u one we had the 3ds one and then we also had this ds one so I had the unfortunate reality of, of understanding that there were going to be five more of these things uh, by the time I played it, but it's still a fantastic platformer, really good, holds up very well and very fun to play on DS. And the other one that I played a ton of was the, uh, a lot of people talk about the N64 remake of uh, uh, Super Mario, which is really good, Mario 64. Diddy Kong Racing, yep. the port of Diddy Kong Racing on the DS is really, really fun. Yeah, I found that on a randomly i didn't know it existed i think i found it at, at, at value village again i think i just found it on the shelf and i was like what the heck is this you know like just i didn't know that there were any other diddy kong anything other than the one on n64 and instantly you know put it in my ds and i was like 
this is just Diddy Kong 64. Yeah. And played it a bunch. It's really fun. I lent it to you. I, do you still have it? I, feel I like, do. Yeah, yeah, I still have it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I lent that to you like two years ago. I was like, do you, wait, did I get that back? Uh, yeah, that's another game that I played a lot of because kart racers are just perfect on every console for me, honestly. So those are the main ones, though. I eventually went back and played... I think it was Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks on DS, and I didn't finish either of those games. I couldn't couldn't get down with the control scheme of yeah. uh, controlling Link basically like it was a mouse on the yeah. bottom pad. And that was an issue that the DS had for me with a lot of games is that the that second screen that the DS, you know, the, the big leap from the Game Boy Advance to the DS, of course, mm-hmm. the big thing that we have to talk about is that second screen. And at first, a lot of developers didn't really know what to do with it. It's really wow. funny, actually, to go back and look at some of these old games. Uh, or they, they just use it as... Uh, sometimes there's just like an animation going on on it. Sometimes there's nothing going on on it. They're still just using the top screen. Uh, I loved it, honestly, when the bottom screen was just being used as basically your save or your start screen, where it's a map and all of your items. So I didn't <laughs> have to quick keep switching in and out of menus, which I, I desperately miss right now on Pikmin 4, honestly. Uh, from Pikmin 3, I mean. Um, but that 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 was one of the things about the uh, the leap from uh, Game Boy Advance to DS is the use of that bottom screen because, like you said, we, we weren't used to using touchscreens yet and we had this little stylus that we had to learn how to use and some of those games required you to use that, uh, that stylus with precision and accuracy, yeah. like games like Metroid Prime. I remember you needed to use it to shoot things, to solve puzzles quickly, like on a WarioWare kind of game, you needed to use it fast. And uh, it worked for most games, but there were some games where it just didn't. Uh, do you remember specifically any any of the any DS games that uh, use the the bottom pad well or not? I know when you were saying that, I was like trying to think if uh, I think the Super Mario sixty four DS one did uh, use it pretty well because it was I mean them who were it was Nintendo making it, yeah. so they they were they were using full. Uh, getting full use out of the the hardware they had created. I don't remember though, honestly, for some of these. I was looking at some gameplay for some. And I'm like, oh my god, I don't even remember playing this. Uh, one game <laughs> that I completely forgot about that I own and I still own, and it's maybe my favorite DS game actually, other than 999, is the Lego Star Wars um, collection, oh, yeah. the complete saga. That is a unbelievable game to play especially on ds in my opinion uh having that handheldness to it so much fun that does make use of the bottom screen i think that just like maps though yep the double screen is really really helpful for a handheld console because you really have such a small space to work with and you don't want like a massive hud taking up everything Right. Uh, when you're when you're playing on the the main screen, so it's just nice sometimes to just have all your extra info, you know, basically your menu down below uh, yeah. to, and always accessible. It's one thing that I I really wish we I, I like Nintendo's next console to kind of revisit that a little bit. Like you mentioned, Pikmin three with the Wii yep. U, like the Wii U, like the idea of like that second screen is really, really cool. It just wasn't executed very well, obviously, with the Wii U. Uh, so I, I would mm-hmm. like to see or have the ability to have a second screen. Like, I, I've always found it weird that the Nintendo Online Service app is basically useless other than like for like <laughs> somehow connecting voice chat and then texting each other yeah. in Animal Crossing when you play Animal Crossing. Like, that's the only time I've ever used it. Like, it would be so cool if you just made like an app uh, a Nintendo app that is the second screen for all these games and mm-hmm. just acts as like the second screen, like DS and um, and like the Wii U. Uh, yeah. It's a, it's a shame that Nintendo's kind of gone away from the second screen idea because I honestly think it's brilliant. 
Yeah, the second screen needs to come back in some way, honestly. Like playing, uh, I played Samus Returns on 3DS, which was one of the last 3DS games that I, I you know, famously said. Uh, Samus Returns got me to play the 3DS after the Switch had come out. Um, <laughs> and and going from that to Metroid Dread, which I love Metroid Dread, but not having the map yeah. at all times on the bottom screen was really hard to go back to. And now Pikmin 3, uh, Pikmin 3 to Pikmin 4, not having the map and all of my items there and the, the being able to look around on the map on the on the touchpad is really hard to not have anymore. And I know that they're trying and they are, they are making quality of life improvements to certain games, but that second screen, man, it, it, it's crazy how much Nintendo trained us to expect to have a second screen basically for yep. 14 years. And to go back to one again is, is really hard to, uh, to train myself. I completely missed a mm. game there when I was talking about video games uh, that I loved on the DS and uh, Bowser's Inside Story yes. is, is so good. Mario and Luigi. And that was one of the better uses of the, uh, the bottom screen that I ever experienced because you would, I guess, spoilers for that game. Uh, you could turn the DS sideways and you would fight uh, big Bowser would fight like a mech yeah. or whatever. And so the screen would th- show it uh, portrait as opposed to landscape. That was so cool. And I wasn't expecting it. And that game is just so good. I love that. I love those Mario games. I, I played them on um, 3DS. The, they ported them to 3DS, the uh, Superstar yes. Saga. It just wasn't the same. I love the Mario and Luigi art style on DS. The pixelated graphics look so good on that screen. There's something that was just lost on uh, something about the 3DS screen. Not not the best, honestly. I'd also like to read you the the top 10 selling uh, games on the DS. I thought it was interesting uh, sure. what we actually had here. And I'm going to omit the Pokemon games because it's mostly Pokemon games. But if you take it out, <laughs> then it gets interesting. Okay. We have the new Super Mario Bros. selling 30 million units coming in. Number one, uh, Nintendogs mm. selling 24 million units Coming in at number two, Mario Kart DS, uh, 23 million units. We got Brain Age 2. Uh, sorry, first we have Brain Age, Train Your Brain in Minutes a Day, with 20 million units sold. Jeez. Just crazy. Brain Age 2, more training in minutes a day. Uh, Animal Crossing Wild World, uh, Super Mario 64 DS, uh, all the way down there with uh, 11, mini, 11 million units compared to 30 million for new Super Mario Bros. Uh, I thought that was interesting. Wow. Uh, 20 million unit difference. Uh, we also had Mario Party mm-hmm. DS. We had Big Brain Academy. And then we had Dragon Quest Nine: Sentinels of the Starry Skies coming in with 5.3 million. And uh, the only uh, non-Nintendo published uh, game on uh, uh, in this uh, top 15 here. So uh, very wow. interesting to see. And the Pokemon games that I omitted were Diamond and Pearl, Black and White, Heart mm-hmm. Gold and Soul Silver, Black and White 2, and Pokemon Platinum. So uh, there's a lot of them. <laughs> 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 that's cool. I love that list. That that's interesting. So new Super Mario Bros was 30 million you said? Yes. 30. Yeah, so that I'm looking at the Game Boy Advance uh list here and mm-hmm. the leap from uh the first game to Pokemon Ruby and Sapphire on Game Boy Advance, highest selling game at 16.2 million units. Wow, so double for Pokemon. Double. Yeah, on a Mario game and uh uh Game Boy Advance very similar. Top 3 selling games on Game Boy Advance are all Pokemon. Uh, followed by Mario Kart, uh, Super Mario World, Super Mario Advance 2, Super Mario Advance, Super Mario Advance 4. And then in the top 10, we do have two non-Nintendo published uh, franchises, mm. which was Namco Museum and Pac-Man Collection. Ah. Um, both around 3 million units, almost exactly the same at 2.96 and 2.94. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting though that, that when you're reading that list, I think that the top selling Game Boy Advance game was 
basically in line with like the sixth or seventh best-selling DS game in terms of sales. So yeah, the DS was just selling massive numbers, um, and it makes sense. I mean, there were twice as many DSs out there, like we said at the top of the episode. But one thing that I do want to say about the leap from the Game Boy Advance to the DS before we start to close out this episode, and this may be one of the pettiest but also one of the best improvements over the Game Boy Advance, is that the DS finally went to plastic cases for their games. Mm-hmm. And this is another reason why I think collecting for the DS is really good today is that a lot of these games are still complete in box. The cases are still intact. Nintendo finally did it. They stopped putting their games in cardboard boxes that would disintegrate after a month or people <laughs> would just throw away. And that's wow. awesome. I, I love seeing DS DS games on a shelf look actually really good. They lined do. up. I think I think they look great. They look sleek, clean, don't take up a lot of room cute little cartridges in there. Um, Really nice. And you can actually use some of the DS cases to hold your Game Boy Advance games too, which a lot of collectors have done. I don't know why Nintendo did this, but they put little Game Boy Advance holders in their DS cases for some weird reason. So a lot of people over the years have printed their own Game Boy Advance case, uh, case art, and then they put it in the DS case and then you can put your Game Boy Advance games on a shelf nicely because Game Boy Advance games, for the most part, in box don't look great on the shelf anymore because the boxes are all in terrible conditions. So the ideal way to, to store Game Boy Advance games, ironically, is in DS cases. Isn't it funny how that works? I know. I, know. I, I, I used to I used to put my because uh, I didn't have like a case for my DS because I was insane. Uh, so I would put I would like bring a game like I'd have my game in my DS and I'd bring like two extra games and like one would be a Game Boy Advance game that I would like slot into that that case and then I'd have the DS game slotted in there too. Which is uh, really funny to think back now, and like they clearly just made that for me, I guess. Uh, same way that the Game Boy or the GameCube cases had the little memory card um, holder in there True. too. But uh, one thing I do want to talk about as well is one thing we actually haven't touched on yet, which is almost certainly the biggest leap for the Game Boy Advance to the DS, which is online, Neil. Yeah, online gaming. This must have been one of the first uses of online gaming, at least that worked online games portably. Um, the PSP could do it. I think it could actually do it better. It's funny because I think the PSP had local voice chat on it too, which the Nintendo Switch still can't do. Um, (laughs) the PSP was very overpowered, uh, for it's very ahead of its time. Honestly, that console, I love the PSP. That'll always be my jump from the Game Boy Advance to the PSP. But yeah, online was something that Nintendo was very reluctant to get into, which was, which did hurt them in this time. We talked a lot about that on the GameCube podcast with uh, their reluctance to put uh, online on the GameCube because they mm-hmm. didn't think people wanted to do it. They wanted to keep their users safe, which is a very nice thought, but it was very backwards thinking. Obviously, you look at video games now and most people play them online. Some people only play games online. That's just the way games are going at this point. But yeah, that, that's pretty much all that I have to say today about the uh, the leap from the Game Boy Advance to the DS. Mike, was there anything else that you wanted to cover before we uh, move into our closing thoughts? No, I just think that uh, it's it's such an interesting time in gaming history because it was almost a, a bit of an accidental leap. It wasn't really, like we said, it wasn't More of a meant, stumble. Uh, more of a stumble, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it, it wasn't meant uh, as as a leap to something new or so, uh, to a, a new evolution of the of the Game Boy. It was just meant, like you said, as a third pillar. So it's funny how Nintendo kind of end up stumbling into really what has been their mantra uh, since. Like the DS is actually kind of what kicked everything off for Nintendo uh, post- uh, GameCube slash Game Boy Advance. Uh, you have to remember that when the, the DS comes out in November 2004, Nintendo's not doing 
super great. I mean, the game yep. GameCube is a failure, and it just has the the N sixty four was a failure for them as well. And so console wise, they're they're not doing great, and that's why they're looking to add that third pillar, so to speak, to kind of reinvigorate their sales. This comes on yet yeah, November two thousand four. Uh, uh, sales aren't looking good for the GameCube. Game Boy Advance sales are slowing a bit, and uh, it does reinvigorate them, but kind of accidentally. Uh, and they really push to that lifestyle side of things. And then, of course, what comes out in November 2006, the Wii, which yep. is all about lifestyle and the whole idea of, of the co- really competing with Sony and uh, Microsoft again, but on a different wavelength of being like, well, Sony has a PSP and a PS3 that can do everything. We have a small pocket-sized <laughs> console in your hands that basically can play this the equivalent of an N64. And we also have this uh, new Wii, which you can just play with the family for like $250. Bucks. And uh, it's funny how that's that has really dictated, like that DS launch has really dictated Nintendo ever since. Uh, most of the ideas and the reasons they, they do things are because of the success of the DS. And also their quirkiness too. Like that, yes. that I feel like that uh, personality that Nintendo had, like Reggie pulling the DS out of his pocket at E3. <laughs> uh, I think he even did the same thing with the Wii. Like the Wii could fit in his jacket pocket. Yeah. Uh, and they have the same kind of style in their directs when there are actual humans on screen. They have that same kind of flair to them where they're pulling stuff out of their pocket. They're using the device. Instead of being on a screen, they're on that white background. But yeah, yeah the DS did come out at a time when Nintendo, I think they had just uh, announced their first ever either quarterly or annual profit loss, which was not good for a company that was doing very well throughout the 80s, mostly through the 90s. Uh, the early 2000s were not kind to Nintendo, a little bit like the uh, the mid-2010s through the Wii U era. So it's always interesting when they when they announce their next console or their next device or their next anything when they're behind because it seems to do very well for them, which is very interesting. And that brings me into one of my closing thoughts here, mm-hmm. which is, the next console leap that we have from Nintendo is going to be from the Switch to whatever the Switch 2 is. We're starting to hear rumors that the Switch 2 is, you know, it's in development. Developers are starting to get dev kits for it. So whatever's next console is, is out there. It's it's going to come probably in the next year or two. And it's very interesting because they're right now winning, honestly. Like even against the PS5 and the Xbox Series S, like Nintendo is still very much a competitor with this six-year-old console with for all intents and purposes, very underpowered graphics, very basic games compared to the other games like Starfield that are on newer hardware. So I wanted to ask you, Mike, and maybe we can talk a little bit bit about it, is what do you see being the next leap for Nintendo now, now that they have this this one pillar? They're not going to go back to a two pillar, I don't think. They're certainly no. not going to do three. So what do you think they're going to do with their, their singular pillar with the Switch 2? That's a great question, and I think you and everyone else is asking that question right now. Uh, with that's these, what's exciting. That's that's, yeah. that's what's exciting <laughs> uh, with these rumors because when you think about it, you know, I'm, I'm transporting myself back to 2016 when we got the announcement of uh, uh, that there was the Nintendo NX at the time uh, that was going to be uh, coming out uh, and uh, and to to replace the Wii U, which obviously was failing and not not doing well for them. Uh, and I, I like the same excitement obviously didn't really exist for us because we're like, I don't know what they're going to do. They're probably just going to make some console that's going to flop or like not do great. And so I don't think we, we looked at it with the same enthusiasm. We looked at it more like, well, they're going to have to do something different, I guess. Uh, and, and what ended up 
what the Switch ended up being was honestly just an iteration on what the Wii U probably should have been uh, to an extent. Uh, And so now that we have a successful console, you know, where do we go from that? Um, And Nintendo is actually pretty bad at following up successes. Like, this is not something they're good at uh, (laughs) because Nintendo is really, really good at changing up the formula when they need to. But when they don't need to, uh, which happened with the Wii U, and and honestly, you could argue with the GameCube and N64, um, when they don't need to completely change up the formula, they have uh, a tough time commercially. So I, I'm, I'm not sure what the big leap we're going to have is. If I were to predict anything, we're not going to have a big leap, Neil. That would be my prediction, is that we're going to have a little leap, just a, a small jump, uh, maybe a little <laughs> skip. Uh, over a hop, to the skip uh, and a jump. Exactly. Have a little skip over to the next console is probably what we're gonna have if we can look at Nintendo's track record and what they've they've done over the last thirty years, uh, yeah. and and also with the successes, right? Like they're not gonna they're not gonna go like you said that third pillar way of just something completely different. They're they're probably just gonna take what worked on the Switch and improve it the best they can, which is fine. It's it's honestly marketing that is what ends up mm-hmm. selling these consoles. And so that'll be interesting to see. But uh, if I were to make a, a stretch though beyond that, let's say that uh, that this Switch 2 fails and and that's when we get the really, really big leap. And like that's when I, I like to think that AR is going to come into play uh, Mm. for Nintendo. I think that's something that Nintendo can definitely push behind. They've already pushed behind it with, you know, Pokemon Go and everything with the AR. Labo. Labo as well. (laughs) Honestly, yeah, Labo, the Mario Kart tracks. Like, I think Mm -hmm. Nintendo would really, really, really like this to be a thing. I don't think Nintendo has any interest going full VR. Maybe to a a small extent they do, but uh, not... Definitely not to the extent that something like PlayStation or or Oculus or or whatever Meta yeah. is doing. I think we'll see our next big jump maybe after the Switch Two or midway through the Switch Two, uh, where we get introduced more to AR. Yeah, my 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 short term prediction is that the Switch Two or whatever it is. I, I think I've already heard that it's it's about as powerful as a base PS4. So yep. uh, any any hope of Nintendo's next console being a, a juggernaut in terms of power is not happening. Nintendo's never been a juggernaut of power since the GameCube, I would say. Yeah. Um, in terms of what their competitors are doing, it's going to be an underpowered machine, and then they're going to sell us on a slightly more powered machine a few years later. That's just what they do. <laughs> yep. Um, so I don't see that changing. I think that that will definitely happen. So whatever it is, I, it's so weird because with the Wii U, I felt like everybody had all of these things that they wanted, and like you know portability and and the ability to like basically basically do what the Switch is, which is to yeah. take your games on the go and then play them when you get home. No one knew what that looked like they just knew that that was what the concept needed to be which is what it ended up being and no one really it doesn't seem like anybody really wants much more than that at this point the concept of the switch is perfect i still love it i don't really want anything to change in terms of that i still want the console to be able to go with me on the go uh even i I know a lot of people talk about the oled uh switch being much better i would probably uh like that i would i would like that upgrade honestly i've also heard rumblings that the base model is just another uh lcd screen Really? Or it's just the base, whatever, or whatever the switch is. I think that's LCD. Mm-hmm. I think it's going to be that again. Um, but I would, I would probably like to upgrade my switch to the OLED if I didn't think that the new switch was coming out so soon. Yeah. Um, so I honestly have no idea of what, what their, their new thing is going to be. I think you're right in that the next console is going to be more of just an iteration on the switch. It's going to be basically 
a very similar console. I could be completely wrong. But the thing that comes after the Switch, I think, will be the real uh, innovation. I just want new Nintendo games. I want new IP from them. I really want them to focus on that. Their last new big IP, I think, was basically Splatoon, not yeah. counting Ring Fit. Arms. Uh, which I, I, arms. Oh, who could forget Arms? How could I forget <laughs> Arms? I would like to see more of that. I want to see them do some more fun stuff. I want to see them try weird stuff like Labo and that weird Mario Kart uh, AR game that they have kids playing now. Um, stuff like that. Keep keep doing all that. And for the love of God, bring back the bongos because we definitely need a console that can use the DK bongos. That's the leap. That's the leap is the DK bongos. <laughs> it's only bongo controlled. Finally. Ah, <laughs> oh, yes. Finally. But Mike, while I'm waiting for my 3D console to play DK bongo jungle beat Dark Souls slash <laughs> cross Xenoblade, why don't the listeners know what they can expect next week on episode 28 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast? Well, we won't be using bongos for this, unfortunately, but uh, we will be watching, not maybe on the UMD, uh, we'll be watching uh, Semi-Pro, the classic 2008 Will Ferrell movie that Neil and I both love a lot. I feel like not a lot of people know about this movie that well. I think it's relatively under the radar. It came out between some really big Will Ferrell movies like Anchorman and uh, Step Brothers, and uh, I always consider this like the in-between movie but honestly i love this movie so much obviously neil does too we saw this in theaters back in the day in 2008 uh one of our favorite times uh for sure uh and uh yeah we're gonna have a a fun time getting sweaty uh neil let's get real sweaty everybody love everybody that movie is so darn good it came out after all of the the big will ferrell movies that most people know it might have come out before Step Brothers. i think that might have been or no it came out after the john c Riley films i think it came came out before Step Brothers, though before Step Brothers. Okay, so yeah, you're right. It is that kind of forgotten black sheep of the Will Ferrell classics, in our opinion. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun talking about it. That was a seminal movie in the Mike and Neil friendship lore. Uh, we <laughs> saw that movie March break of 2008, and we ended up quoting it basically for the next 15 years, honestly. <laughs> never stopped. I was going to say through high school, but it never actually did stop. It's such a good movie. We, we've I've wanted to talk about this movie on the show for forever, so I'm excited that it's finally going to happen. It's going to be a really fun episode, so... Uh, if you like hearing us talking about movies, if you like hearing Mike and I talk about old funny memories and, and Will Ferrell movies, it's going to be a great episode to come back and listen to. So we can't wait for that. But until then, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for listening to episode 27 of the Unlocking What Was Cool podcast. New episode every Thursday on all the major podcast services. Leave us a rating and a review so we can make the show better. You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. All patrons get to submit and vote on our monthly Patreon elected episode, just like today. Thank you so much to everybody over there. You can follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and join the weekly conversation on our Discord channel. Share us with your friends and family. Tell Reggie, Neil says hi. Thank you so much for the support, and we will see you next week. See you later. My body is ready. Goodbye. The Unlocking What Was Cool podcast is a recorded and produced show from Toronto, Canada. Our podcast is fan-funded by our listeners on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash unlocking what was cool. The show is produced, hosted, and edited by Mike Lane and Neil Gilbert. Additional voices provided by Victor Young. Special thank you to our Patreon supporters at the $5 level. AJ Olson 11, Bogus Lotus, Cube Dude, Dean Donian, Joey Sirico, Marty Thompson, Sparks Fly 027, and Way Overrated. Please play Animal Crossing Wild World on my Nintendo DS. My Nintendo DSi. No, Reggie, (laughs) we're going to play on the DS Lite. Damn it. (laughs) DS Lite was so good. I miss Reggie. I do too. 
I'm tired of these stupid directs without him. Bring him back. We need him. Honestly, we that, need him more than ever. That's the new iteration is that Reggie announces it. <laughs> that's the leap. Lock, that's the next leap. Lock it in. 